This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, we've had a fantastic week up this way. I hope you have had one as well. It's been a week of celebration for us. Uh, Yesterday was my wife's birthday. Today is another important day in our family life. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, no, it's not our wedding anniversary. It's something uh, something else of, of great importance and great rejoicing. Uh, no, so we are still in the throes of unpacking. We moved about just almost two weeks ago into our new house, what I like to say on the outskirts of Canada. Uh, I can see Canada from here. It's about seven miles up the road. Um, and uh, so just trying to get unboxed and the the house that we bought is uh, one that needs um, it let's just say that I watched a, a lot of uh, of those shows where they take uh, houses and flip them or fix them or whatever and I, I might have thought that I could do it too <laughs> we shall see if I learned that there's a difference between television and real life uh, that that's that remains to be seen. Tune in on an ongoing basis to to hear more about it. Uh, no, but so we've been just trying to get everything settled up here, uh, and so everything is just a little bit hectic, and I think that's just par for the course in 2020, as uh, as everything seems to be just a little bit uh, unsettled and a little bit crazy. So. Uh, Today is a perfect day to talk about that. It's a perfect day to look at the hectic craziness of life and say, you know what? I'm going to take some time away from this. I'm going to back away a little bit, spend some time in reflection. I'm going to look at my my life through new eyes and I'm going to pray and I'm going to uh, to focus on prayer and work. You might be getting an idea of where we're going here. Today is the perfect day to say, I'm going to commit my way to the Lord, and I'm going to take all these distractions and these things that get in my way uh, and these things that are uh, just troublesome and ancillary, and you know what? I'm going to I'm going to step back from those, and I'm going to spend some time alone. I'm going to spend some time alone. The reason, of course, for this, the reason that we would do that kind of uh, declaration today is because today is a feast day. It's a really important feast day, uh, at least in, in my life, in my family's life. Today is the feast of St. Benedict. He's the father of Western monasticism and so much more. Uh, and so we're going to spend some time today talking about that. Uh, if you've listened to the show any length of time, you know that I have a, a particular interest in Benedictine spirituality. And I, one of the reasons is... Um, there's some things about it that just appeal to me deeply. Uh, the, the rhythms of the day that uh, repeat over and over and over again, the, the stability, the, um, the predictability, to some extent, of, uh, of the rule of life. Now, one of the things that, you know, you, you picture that, this, uh, this stability, this never-ending thing that every day you get up at the same time and you do work and you do prayer— at the same times, um, you would get to think of this as being a little bit monotonous. And yet, there's something very vibrant 
in this life uh, of knowing, yes, I'm at this time tomorrow, Lord willing, I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be praying the the Psalms, and I'm going to be praying the the um, the scriptures over and over again. Right? I know that this is coming back up. I'm going to be doing that tomorrow. And there's something very settling in that, even though there's still quite a bit of spontaneity. Yes. Yes, dare I say spontaneity in the Benedictine life. Um, because you greet every moment uh, as a fresh moment. You greet every person that comes through the door, through the monastery door, as if it were Christ himself coming. And so there's a certain way of being and way of expecting Christ to be in your midst as you, uh, as the monk, rather, uh, welcomes the, the stranger and the visitor and the traveler in with open arms. There's also this expectancy that the abbot, the father, might have something different for me to do today. And whatever it is, whenever it happens, there's a spontaneity to say that whatever the abbot says, I'm going to do. And, and so there is, even in the routine, this beautiful spontaneity of humility that takes place in the Benedictine life. And that, that's very appealing and attractive to me. Uh, one of the other things that just, uh, just really captures my attention about the Benedictine life is um, the, the intentional removal of self from the, the cares of the world, right? So the monk does this in the context of the monastery. Uh, he leaves the the craziness of the world for the sake of the world, because again, the monk is going in prayer uh, and going alone and away in prayer for the sake of the whole world. So it's not escapism. It's taking a different uh, tack and a different strategy for handling the craziness of the world. And so there's this beautiful picture of retreating, not for the sake of uh, somehow getting away from the struggles of life, but retreating so as to better deal with the troubles of life and to carry the troubles of life for everyone else in prayer. So um, in this, the, the part of the Benedictine spirituality that just I love in this regard is I have a tendency to get really wrapped up in current events and to to get, I have the, the propensity to allow myself to really delve into deep worry and anxiety over the things that are going on in the world and to to think that this thing is the most important thing and to stake my my claim there and draw my line in the sand and then approach that in a combative kind of a way. So that could be politics. It could be um, uh, current events. It could be that I, you know, whatever... <laughs> Whatever thing captures the national attention uh, and holds it for that little brief period of time, I have the propensity to have really strong opinions about it and come out and tell you what for. And so this Benedictine spirituality has caused me to look and say, you know what? These might be real and valuable and valid concerns, but it's not worth me delving into this kind of frenzy uh, over it. Because if I'm honest, my opinion in this matter really doesn't make a difference. And so being able to, to take a step back from those things and to retreat from those things just a little bit 
so that I can focus more clearly on the things that I can make a difference in, the things that really do matter for me to be involved in, the things that my my thoughts and my opinions and my strategies and my actions can actually have deep and lasting and profound impacts in. Uh, and we're going to touch on this just a little bit more later in the show as we get to our reading from Scripture, because I, I think it's important for us to ask ourselves the question, what things need my attention? What things precisely need my attention? Because there's lots of things that will vie for my attention. And St. Benedict had this laid out so clearly in that that rule of life, this balance of work and prayer, ora et labora, right? We're going to pray and we're going to work and we're going to pray about very specific things and we're going to work in very specific ways that are tangible and right in front of us. And this is something that I still struggle with, right? I still want to get invested and involved in the minutia of uh, arguments and discussions, right? When I'm online and I'm scrolling through Facebook and there is someone wrong on the internet, uh, which is every day, you know, I want to sit there and I want to um, pull out all my citations and reasons why that person's wrong and spend three hours crafting a perfect response. Uh, and you, you, you might be laughing right now, but this is true. I mean, you ask my wife and she will tell you this has been the case at certain points in time in our marriage uh, that she would see me on the computer. She's like, well, he's found somebody else. Uh, and somewhere along the lines, I don't even really completely recall when, uh, I just became convicted that I needed to retreat from those things because those arguments weren't doing the other person any good and they weren't doing me any good. And all they were doing is creating anxiety and contention. And so I was called away into work and prayer, ora at labora. It's not the thing that I most enjoy, but it's the thing that brings me the most peace. And so I want to encourage you here on this feast of St. Benedict, I want you to consider what are the places that my energy and my attention uh, need to be focused on. It shouldn't be too many things because in all honesty, we really are bad at multitasking. We like to pretend that we're good at it, but we're not, right? Nobody, truly, nobody except maybe a short order chef is really good at multitasking. We, we have one or two things that we're very good at and a couple of few things that we can do okay. So how about we take the time and we ask for the, the discernment from the Holy Spirit to move forward and to say, what are the things that I need to be working on and praying about right now and putting our attention there? For some people, that's going to include politics. Maybe they're very good at it. Me, that's not me. Um, I like to step as far back from politics as possible because it has the ability to get me all worked up in a way that I can't really have outlet other than to shout my opinion and everyone look at me and either agree with me or disagree with me. It doesn't really change anything It for, for me. There are other people who are out there who are very skilled at politics and, and are a valuable source of um, really kind of putting the faith into politics 
and injecting that into the world. We need that, but that's not my role, right? So for me, this Benedictine spirituality just holds a really strong resonance with me because of this drive to humility, um, this realization that I can't do anything truly on my own apart from Christ, Uh, and that acknowledgement drawing us into humility, drawing us into obedience, which is not my favorite thing again, but it's something that's so good for me. And then drawing us into silence. So we're going to talk about this today. We, I love having Benedictines come on. We've had several in the past, but there's a process to getting them on. You've got to go through the superior and, 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 they have to get permission and then you've got to figure out the technology and then eventually I can get a Benedictine on the show. And this week, things were just a little short as we've had our recent move. Everything's been condensed. Uh, but I happen to know uh, someone who can talk to us about St. Benedict. He's an oblate at uh, Our Lady of the Annunciation in Clear Creek Abbey down in Oklahoma. Uh, and yet he lives up in Iowa. We've talked to him before. It's Bo Bonner, director of the Zeta Institute and director of mission at Mercy College of Health Sciences in Iowa. Bo, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me back on the show. I appreciate it. So you you are no stranger to radio. You're the host of The Uncommon Good, which airs on our Oklahoma networks, as well as uh, Iowa Catholic Radio. Um, so many of my listeners who have heard you before may not be aware that you, in in some capacity, are a Benedictine. Yeah, so uh, I've been an oblate down at Clear Creek since 2009, and, uh, you know, I've, that was only two years. Uh, well, I guess I started the process two years after I converted. I became Catholic in 2006, started my, uh, you know, novice uh, oblate year in 2008, uh, and uh, then became an oblate in 2009, and I've been stumbling along trying to do uh, uh, my best as an oblate uh, ever since, made it down to multiple oblate days uh, down there. I've, I've got the chance to talk there twice, uh, try to be a part of the life of the monastery, even when, when I'm not there. And uh, so you're right, like it, uh, it, it adds some benefits, for instance, being able to, to talk when people need you to uh, <laughs> without talking to an abbot. Uh, but it also means that you got you to gotta try to be very intentional uh, to keep up that spirituality uh, in your life. But um, I know when, when I have my failings doing that, that the monks are praying for me. They pray very intently for their oblates, and being wrapped in their prayers has been very precious to me through my life. So let's talk a little bit about what it means to be an oblate. What is the oblature, and, and how, does it, um, how do you incorporate it into your spiritual life as, as a layperson? Well, you know, when you, when you have something like the Benedictines who've been around for so long, um, what's wonderful is something that starts out as one thing, uh, doesn't change, but can really grow and bloom to include others. So for instance, right, this feast that's, uh, you know, July 11th, um, it's sort of considered the summer feast of St. Benedict because, uh, at least in the old calendar, uh, the ben- St. Benedict's feast, um, always falls in Lent and March and, uh, monks themselves usually take Lent extremely seriously so I think part of the idea is like, well, how are we going to have a, a, a feast we can actually celebrate in the summer? Um, so this was actually the feast of the transference of St. Benedict's bones 
from Italy to France because why not be uh, really interesting? Uh, but my point being, right, is that like so through the years, right, there there, there took this uh, shape of we have this sort of penitential feast of Benedict, and then we have the celebratory one in July. Oblature sort of goes through something different. Of course, being an oblate uh, in it in its very basic uh, meaning, right, an oblation is something that is offered to God or offered to a God and usually on an altar. And that's how the original understanding of a Benedictine oblate comes up. Because what you would have is rich families particularly, but any family really, um, would have a child that either uh, they wanted to devote to God or if they were a poor family that they couldn't raise. And so they would literally give as an oblation their son or their and then later daughters uh, to the monastery. And so it was like an oblature, an oblation to God. You would give your child so that his prayers uh, would be that sort of offering of a gift. Um, but then, of course, right, like this is how poor families could have um, children that would eventually be educated and things like this. So it wasn't simply one-sided. But they're, they were called oblates because they literally would wrap child's, uh, you know, like their feet or their body in the altar cloth and they would offer them to God to be raised by the monastery. And some of uh, the most famous, um, you know, uh, disciples of St. Benedict's were exactly oblates who, you know, showed their devotion because they showed childlike obedience to the Father and uh, uh, the Holy Father Benedict and everything like this. As the years go by, though, people who were already adults wanted to connect themselves in some way to the monastery, even if they had secular lives that they couldn't simply give up. So, you know, a, 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 a father who already has a wife and children, um, you have people who are doing civil service, you even have priests who are already uh, secular priests who can't give up, right, their, their obedience to the bishop, but they want to be part of the spiritual life. And so the oblates, uh, the, excuse me, the Benedictines extended oblature to where people who are either lay people or who aren't of the monastery offer their hearts as an oblate, an oblation, and spiritually join themselves to the monasteries uh, through a sort of uh, metaphor, almost an analogy between those first oblates who became part of the monastery by being offered as gifts to God as children. So we're going to spend some more time here in a bit talking about what it means to be an oblate. But before we get there, uh, as we talk today with Bo Bonner, I want to turn our attention back to what it means to be Benedictine at all, who St. Benedict was and what, what the gift he gave to the church is through the rule of St. Benedict and through these, uh, really, the, the monastic life in the Western world. Well, and I think it goes back to his name. Uh, so a Benedict is where we get the word benediction, the idea of a blessing, that he, he came into this world and it seemed like he had a special uh, providential um, mission to, to be a blessing um, to a Europe who was making that sort of difficult transition, transition from the late antique world into the Middle Ages, where truly, you know, Rome had fallen, there, you know, the barbarian invasions, all of the sort of glories of the old empire were starting to crumble and here eventually comes Benedict's monks through, you know, lots of happenstance and providence that eventually sort of upgird civilization um, through their learning, through their monasteries, etc. But he starts off life 
Um, he's going to Rome. He's going to be a student at Rome as a, as a boy. Uh, and then, you know, as a young man and he goes to Rome and he just sees that Rome has fallen, uh, not only in its material aspect, but spiritually it was, it was awry. It had gone astray. And so, you know, the, the Benedictines talk about that he was that he was willing to forsake uh, his education at Rome uh, to, in order to go off and, and actually be in a cave to, to sort of figure out how to become close to God. So he starts off life as a hermit, but then actually realizes that he needs others and others need him. And so they ask him to be uh, their abbot and he, he founds Western monasticism. Well, you make it sound so, so, um, like it was this providential thing that he, they asked him to be the abbot and, and everything went smoothly. But that first time uh, that, that he took over a group of monks, he said, listen, you're not going to like my way of life. And they said, no, 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 it's going to be fine. Come on. Uh, and he, so he agrees and then they don't like his way of life and they try to poison him. So, oh yeah, I mean, it's eventually, eventually we get to that, that order of, of monks that we know today, but he did not have success the first time out the gate. Well, one of my favorite things about his life is, you know, with St. Gregory the Great, um, we know most of his life and his great work called The Dialogues, the entire chapter two is about St. Benedict. And so, you know, yeah, I give the big interview about, uh, overview, excuse me, about how his life went, but then he tries to get killed multiple times. Uh, you know, there, there's the famous, he, he blesses the poison cup that, uh, with the sign of the cross and it shatters rather than him take it. There's a jealous uh, clergy member that tries to poison him with bread, and a raven comes and carries the bread away. That's why you'll see uh, Benedictine statues with the ravens, or why Benedictine College, that's their, their mascot. Um, but then the devil just is always trying to pull a fast one on St. Benedict because he realizes how important and, and holy Benedict is, and uh, he makes you know nude women appear out of nowhere, and uh, St. Benedict rolls around in thorn bushes rather than like uh, submit even to the idea of a temptation. Uh, the devil towards the end of all of this is simply just appearing to St. Benedict and saying, hey, I killed some of your monks. I'm sorry. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and uh, then Benedict will go and, and, and you know, literally they had a, a kid who the wall fell on him and crushed him. And the monks are crying, dragging a, 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 a bag full of the remains of this child you know, lamenting what's happening and telling him what's happening. Uh, and so St. Benedict blesses the bag and the boy comes out not only like alive, but whole and, and you know, sort of like to flaunt the devil, right? That like you you can't, you know, uh, undermine what we're doing. The joke on that one, right, is what does uh, St. Benedict immediately do? He, he sends the boy back to work, right? So even if you get <laughs> crushed by a wall by the devil and you're a Benedictine, um, you, you, if you're feeling better, you're going to have to get put back to work. So. Right. <laughs> So there are a couple of books that are out there. You mentioned St. Gregory the Great has a biography uh, about the life of St. Benedict. There's also this, if that's a little bit too difficult to approach, there's this beautiful children's book by Francis Alice Forbes. You can get it on, uh, I think Tan uh, publishes a copy of it, Tan Books. But you can also, uh, I came across it with the family by going to um, catholicaudiobooks.wordpress.com, which is basically just this catalog of um, public domain audiobooks, LibriVox recordings. And so we listened at dinner time 
as we ate in silence, which was fantastic. Uh, and, and surprisingly, the kids loved it. We, we sat down, we ate, and we listened to the life of St. Benedict in a very Benedictine way over a meal. Um, and it's beautiful language, uh, easy to understand because it's originally written for children. Uh, it doesn't take too long to get through. I think we got through it in two weeks uh, of, of dinners. Um, and just really well worth the time and kind of opening up this, this beautiful life and, and really giving us this picture of virtue, uh, that's so important for us beyond those two, Bo, is there a specific, um, either story of his life, uh, hagiography or some little bit of information into the, the theology or the, the, uh, the thoughts of Benedict outside of the rule, uh, that you would suggest or encourage people to pick up? Well, um, you made me realize that I, I'm actually working on a children's book that deals with monks. I just don't have it done yet, but uh, uh, I don't know if you know who uh, uh, Gwyneth uh, Thompson Briggs is. She's one of the, the best Catholic artists that I know, but uh, she's she's doing the drawings and I'm doing the poems, so I realize that I have to come back uh, when we get done with that and let you know about that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry to self-promote. I just remembered. <laughs> um the, when it comes to the life of, of reading, you know, you know, Benedict, it's it's hard to outdo pointing to his rule and his life, um, because I'll be honest when you when I start to think of um, monks uh, and nuns of Benedict commenting on the stuff themselves, uh, they can. Uh, they construct a show that they've not been hanging out with people uh, for a few decades. So, uh, for, for instance, my, my favorite book in the Benedictine sort of world of spirituality is by Abbas Cecile Bruyere, B-R-U-Y-R-E. Um, and it's called uh, The Life of Prayer According to Scripture and Monastic Practice, which is a title only someone who lives in a monastery could come up with. Um, but it's, it's absolutely the most beautiful, best book that I've ever seen on prayer. And uh, I can, I can send you the link to it, um, after we're done. So maybe you could put it in show notes or something if you wanted. Um, uh, you know, and then, um, again, this is me showing where I'm, I'm oblate at, but, um, the, 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 at, the Abbey at Clear Creek is in the, uh, the congregation of Salem, so it looks like Celesmus uh, uh, to us English speakers who don't know French. Um, but um, Dom uh, Dom Prosper Garanger, and it look that look the word looks like Geringer. But uh, he wrote the the um, the liturgical year. He wrote a little work on the Benedictine medal. Um, mm-hmm. He has shorter works that again that I can can share with you. But if you if you look up like the um, if you go to Clear Clear Creek Abbey and look at their books. Instead of me trying to spell French names over the air, <laughs> I'll tell you to go there. And uh, there, there's some actually really good introductory small books that introduce you into um, the life and understanding of St. Benedict. We're talking today with Bo Bonner, host of The Uncommon Good, director of the Zeta Institute. There's much more to our conversation coming up as we explore what it looks like to appropriate the spirituality of Benedict in our own homes. Join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Come tell me your experience with Benedictine spirituality or ask a question for me or Bo. There's much more to come right after this, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and today is July 11th. It's a very important day. It's the Feast of St. Benedict. Uh, I've got a, I have a Benedictine medal, one of the four-inch one, sitting right by my front door. First thing I see uh, as I come into the house, last thing I see as I leave the house. Uh, and so it, we, we got a blessed. There's a very special blessing that you do, that you have done to the Benedictine medal uh, that a Benedictine needs to do. Uh, and then um, beyond that, my, uh, I was going to say my youngest, but he's not my youngest anymore. Uh, my son uh, has a god. Well, one of my younger sons has a godfather who is a deacon who works with an exorcist uh, in his diocese. And so when he came to the baptism, he brought this, this just looks like a cross, this little crucifix, three, four inch crucifix, uh, but it was a reliquary and it had a whole bunch of different saints in it, but it had a first class relic of St. Benedict. So we took that first class relic of St. Benedict and we touched it to the metal and we uh, asked for uh, God's graces on it. And we asked that and intended that that touch and that transfer would make that uh, Benedict medal, a third class relic. So uh, we now have a third class relic in our house of St. Benedict. Uh, and and it's as good as I can get for being a layperson. Uh, but we have this, this, uh, this specific devotion to St. Benedict. Uh, my wife and I are looking at becoming oblates uh, here locally at a monastery nearby. Um, and why all of this? What, what difference does this make well, to find out, we're talking with Bo Bonner, who is an oblate of a Benedictine monastery in Oklahoma, even though he lives in Iowa. Uh, Bo, thank you for joining us again today. Yeah, no, thank you. And immediately, uh, when I think of Benedictine medals, one of my favorite stories, it's not confirmed, but it sounds uh, true enough, is uh, supposedly the monks go down to Oklahoma. And uh, if anybody's been down there, they actually live on old land in northeastern Oklahoma, sort of woods where uh, they had horse, uh, they, they had horses there at horse barns, things like this. And so the folks there go, yeah, there's a well, but the water's not good for drinking. So, you know, I don't know if you want to look into that, but uh, there's a well, but you probably shouldn't drink out of it. And so the monks uh, supposedly bless the Benedictine medal, drop it into the well, and they've been drinking that water ever since. <laughs> and um, like I said, I haven't asked myself, but if you um, really uh, lay that up against like the stories of St. Benedict and particularly the idea of like uh, exorcisms against poison and like mm-hmm. blessing water. And uh, it, it, it sounds like it would fit. So uh, I, I can't guarantee you that like we need to sell, you know, blessed Benedictine medals uh, for water filters or anything, but uh, it, it I, 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 I'm thinking you're doing good having that above your door. Well, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about sacramentals. This was not in the plan, but th- this is, a, I think, important that um, there is a power in a sacramental, uh, or, or in this case, in a relic. But it's not. Uh, it's not superstitious, and it's not. It's not like an amulet that just the mere presence of it uh, makes a difference. There is something. Uh, there is something gracious there. There is a grace that we uh, that we receive and that we participate in by having these devotions and by using sacramentals. Um, but it's not magic. So maybe talk a little bit about that because it's not you know it's not like we can sell these Benedictine medals and say hey this will this will cure your water. That's uh, you know that's where we get the whole hocus pocus thing. Is uh, oh well you know you take this little thing and it'll do exactly what you want it to. 
But there is, uh, yeah. with with faith, there is that kind of power that very likely that story at least is plausible, um, if not a little bit fantastic. Well, you know what I think. Uh, I think this is uh, this goes back to the story of uh, Saint Benedict that. You know, the difference between magic and uh, the sort of efficacy of sacramentals has to do that magic is something that we think by manipulating, we um, can, as as like Tolkien said this, right, that magic is sort of a technological mindset, right? That if I manipulate reality through words or this or that or the other, talismans, whatever it is, I can affect what my will as an extension of my will into the world. But when we talk about sacramentals, the idea is about trust, obedience, and faith. Um, I believe that what is taught about the sacramental, that this has power. Um, I know that, like, God has, you know, my best in better than I do. And so I will submit uh, to uh, the, the providence of the sacramental. And what it reminds me of is so one of the famous stories is one of the oblates of, uh, one of you know, that we were talking about in the first segment. He's drowning in a lake, and St. Benedict recognizes this, even though he's not there, and he tells the other child, Oblate, he goes, go immediately, go to the lake and rescue, you know, your, your fellow Oblate, and the Oblate drops what he's doing and immediately runs, and so as he's running, he gets there, you know, in record speed time, and in, in, he finds himself, and the, the, the story's great because it says he finds himself not stopping at the edge of the lake, but actually sort of running over the water and he picks up his friend and they get to the other side of the lake and all of a sudden he comes to and he can't believe what happens <laughs> and uh the other uh, the the the, the that was drowning uh said uh you know i can't i can't believe that happened when when you came over me i saw the master's robe so saint benedict's robe um hovering with you but what saint benedict said is because you obe- obeyed immediately and with full faith this miracle was able to occur. And so I go back and think about what the Benedictine medal actually says. So the inscription says, you know, the cross of our Holy Father Benedict, may his protection always, like, may his, his presence protect us at the hour of our death. Holy cross, be my light and never let the dragon be my guide. Get behind me, Satan. Never suggest vain thoughts to me. The cup you offer is evil. Drink the poison yourself. Which goes back to that story about when uh, mm-hmm. Other monks tried to poison him, and he blessed it. And so the metal is not magical, like we're like, oh, it's charged with some sort of special magic. It's that we go, you know what? Um, just as our Holy Father Benedict had faith that the sign of the cross would providentially lead him into, you know, the valley of darkness and out of it, um, this metal is, so to speak, a physical manifestation of our obedience and trust. Mm-hmm. And the polar opposite, so to speak, of magic and talisman and everything like that. So, to the outside world, I can see how it sounds like they're the same thing. But so, but you, if you dig deep into it and you see this through, you know, the children of Saint Benedict, it's actually the exact opposite. It's yeah. about obedience and trust and faith. You know, uh, we're, we're talking today with Bo Bonner, uh, director of the Zeta Institute. Y- you bring up the story of the miracle of the the oblate running across the water and saving his friend. And we think, wow, that's, you know, that's, that sounds too legendary. That couldn't possibly be real. Uh, But at the same time, you look at a very similar story that occurs in the gospel where Jesus blesses the, the loaves and the fish and he breaks it. And he looks at his disciples and says, now pass it out. 
Well, the, the miracle didn't occur at the blessing, and it didn't occur at the breaking. It occurred at the obedience of the disciples going out and beginning to hand it out and not running out as they did so. So there was this this really uh, trust that uh, that I'm going to obey, and and it's on him if it doesn't work out, right? Um, right. But it's in that obedience, and, and over and over and over again, I see this as I'm reading the miracles in the, in Scripture of Jesus and of the apostles after the fact in Acts and beyond. The miracles occur in the act of obedience and not before. Absolutely, and and that it's not um, it's not a sort of like if you do these five steps, the sixth step is like you know you 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 know you cash in on the miracle or something <laughs> like this. Um, uh, and, and on the other hand, you know, people go, Oh, the miracle, like, you know, what do you bring up the miracles that people shared? And you're like, no, the miracle is, um, you know, to, to bring up another one, master, we've fished all night and there have been no fish, but at your word, we will cast the net. And then what happens, uh, fish so many that it breaks the net when they try to pull it up. Well, and keep in mind, keep in mind, these are professional fishermen being instructed by a carpenter. That's exactly right. And you start to think about what that means is, and of course that doesn't mean right that you're like, Oh, um, the miraculous only happens in the face of like silliness or like against the odds. It's not about those things. It's like you said, it's this disposition that like, I am going to do the will of the other. I'm going to do the master's will. And even if like I have, uh, you know, as Newman would say a thousand, uh, difficulties don't make a doubt, right? Like I can have all these difficulties running through my mind. Like, well, I don't think this will work, but it's the submission, right? And that goes back to the very word we're talking about, right? Oblation. The point is to make an oblation of your will. I give my will to you, Lord, uh, because you made it. And because without you, I can't will well anyway, but it's all I have. It's what I am. And if I give it to you, I know that you will give it back a hundredfold, a thousandfold more than I could use it if I used it myself. Yeah. You know, I, I think back to the rule of St. Benedict. We, we have read through it, I think, twice now um, as we read this at dinner time, and we, Right now we're doing something different, but every once in a while we'll come back to this and we'll read the rule. And the rule is really... Um, First of all, it's very applicable to family life. Uh, you got to make some tweaks, of course, but it, it's this beautiful picture of living in community, which is what family ultimately is. Uh, and so he gives things to, for as we're looking at it in the child's perspective, he gives things to the child saying, whatever the abbot says, do it immediately. Drop what you're doing and do that thing and and basically don't talk back, right? Live a life of humility in that way. And then he talks to the abbot and says, um, don't be too, uh, you, you should be a person who allows for uh, growth for the, the strongest person, but doesn't wound the weakest person, right? There, that there is uh, this pastoral aspect to it that we fathers can certainly learn from. Um, and so for me, Benedictine spirituality is a way of, uh, of looking at the world through the eyes of community, that I primarily am meant to be the as a father as that vocation i'm meant to be the shepherd of of this abbot of the, rather of this abbey this house uh and to ensure that we're all growing spiritually including myself uh, and so i love the, the what benedictine spirituality affords to me personally in reminding me the importance of humility 
and reminding me the importance of community and reminding me of the importance of prayer and of work. And so that's the reason that that I am in the process of even just inquiring about becoming an, an oblate. I'm not there yet, but I want to talk to you about why you became an oblate and what you've found in your life through that process. Well, yeah, and so, you know, just to, to briefly say something about the rule that leads into answering that question. You know, on one hand, the rule is infinitely practical. There's a rule about don't wear your knife to bed, which of course meant, <laughs> which of course meant one night someone wore their knife to bed and cut themselves. And so Benedict's like, hmm, I better put in the rule, don't wear your knife to bed, which actually I think is probably applicable to some children too. Who knows? Um, but then it can also be extremely you know, lyrical. The whole thing opens up, hearken, my child, with the ear of your heart to the words of your father. Uh, the, the idea, the ear of your heart, like just a, a wonderful idea, right? And, and, it, and it provides the idea, you know, just it, it, it goes in depth like what your prayer life should look like it like it talks about the entire week of what a monk will look like prayer life wise but then it also will talk in sort of you know like near like perfect aphorisms to just dwell on the rest of your life you know prefer nothing to christ uh that that the, the monastery is a, a school of conversion or my favorite right that like how are we going to get to heaven but by using what is what he what is he said calls the bright weapons of obedience. I mean, what a term, the bright weapons of obedience. And he talks about uh, the, the ladder of humility in this way. He talks about, you know, the, the different acts that are going to get us there, um, but the bright weapons of obedience. And, and for me, when I became Catholic and, uh, you know, Thomas Aquinas was my, uh, my, my saint uh, for my confirmation saint when I became Catholic, um, everybody was like, oh, well, Bo's going to become a third order Dominican because he won't shut up and he loves Thomas Aquinas <laughs> and he loves philosophy and he loves arguing. And, you know, I got to the point where I didn't know, like I knew that I felt called to like, you know, do something. And I was like, uh, I, I was being like every pr- probably overzealous convert is I, I bought a five fold scapular, you know, that thing that when you wear it, like everyone can see it jutting out of your t-shirt and think like you've broken a rib or something. And I was like, <laughs> I was praying all the prayers. And I, I talked to like, finally a priest in the confessional was like, you know what, instead of doing a lot of things poorly, uh, maybe you should just think about doing one thing like simple, be simple. And, but, but I also got the advice, like, don't do what you think you're good at go to the spirituality that you, you think you need. And whereas I talk all the time and I love to like think and argue and read, I realized what I needed was Benedict telling me to shut up sometimes, to be silent, um, to read, to, to the, uh, and, and, and the bright weapons of obedience are almost always, uh, you know, accompanied by the talk about the importance of silence. Um, and, and I realized uh, that, that that's, that's what I needed. I needed a, a, a father to help me where I wasn't necessarily already like, you know, a, a black belt in my mind, right? Like where I wasn't already the grade A champ. What I needed was someone to lead me through something I'd not done well. Now, obviously, I think that there's overlaps. I grew up Southern Baptist, and I think the Benedictines are a very scriptural order. It makes sense about the centrality of the Psalms. And I'll be honest, like, um, it was the Benedictines who first talked about the Psalms like I used to hear sermons about the Psalms growing up. I mean, I, I, not to throw anyone else under the bus, but in my brief time in uh, mainline Protestant seminaries, my brief time in Catholicism before finding the Benedictines, um, you know, people really seem to let the Psalms fall to the wayside 
to, to hear the centrality of praying the Psalms, but talking about them really struck a chord for uh, how I grew up. Um, but it really was about hearkening the ear to my heart to listen. When you're a know-it-all uh, who, you know, uh, gave up a, 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 a career in another, you know, uh, in, a, in a Protestant field, uh, you, you know, you kind of think the world owes you and you think you got it all figured out to be told out of the gate that your salvation depends on the silence, the obedience of listening with your heart to the words of your father. Um, I just realized that I needed that. And that that's what really called me to, to become an Oblate. I still have a few questions I want to ask you, Bo, but we're going to save those for the Patreon community. Of course, we give an extra segment each and every week to all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Bo, thanks for being with us today. Oh, it's always wonderful and a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Let's turn our attention now to our readings from Scripture and from Church History. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching. And so today on the Feast of St. Benedict, he, uh, Bo talked a little bit about uh, the Psalms and how wonderful it was to, to re-engage with the Psalms in the way that he had grown up with. And so I thought, well, let's take some time to read a psalm. We don't do that very often, um, but I wanted to do a very specific one because it fits our conversation today, and that's Psalm 131. It's not a very long one, uh, just three verses long, but let's, let's listen to this together and listen to it in an attitude of prayer. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a child quieted at its mother's breast, like a child that is quieted is my soul. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. That reading comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 131. And there's a couple of things here. First of all, this goes back to what we talked about just at the very beginning of one of the things that really drew me to Benedictine spirituality is this realization that there are things that I don't need to occupy myself with. There are things that are too great and too marvelous or too great and too low, right? There are things that I really don't need to give my attention to, but I've calmed and quieted my soul. What does it mean to calm and quiet our soul like a child quieted at its mother's breast? There's another uh, version of this, another translation that says, like a weaned child. Well, what does that mean? Well, I, you know, uh, if you've listened to the show any length of time, you know that I have a lot of kids around. So I, I think I've got a picture into this. Um, a, a weaned child is like my my three-year-old, who when he comes to sit with his mom, he's not coming because he needs anything for her. Now, there's plenty of times he needs something from her, uh, but those are not the times that he comes to sit with her, right? Those are the times that he's like, mama, 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 and it just goes on indefinitely. Um, those are the times that he comes up to her and tugs on her shoulder, but when he comes to sit with her, and to lay his head on her breast. He's doing so 
because he wants to be near her, right? It's not for anything. When he comes to sit with her, he just wants to be near. And how often do we do that? How often do you and I take the time to say, I want to come and spend time with God, not because I need anything from him, but just to sit and to be with him? How do we calm and quiet our soul from all of the distractions and the anxieties of life in such a way that you and I can just be with God? This is that silence that Bo was talking about as part of Benedictine spirituality, of not seeking after anything other than to say, let me be near you. Our reading from church history today comes from, you guessed it, We're going to read from the rule of St. Benedict here on his feast day. And this is the passage that Bo referenced earlier in the show. Whenever you begin any good work, you should first of all make a most pressing appeal to Christ our Lord to bring it to perfection, that he who has honored us by counting us among his children may never be grieved by our evil deeds. For we must always serve him with the good things he has given us in such a way that he may never, as an angry father disinherits his sons or a master who inspires fear, grow impatient with our sins and consign us to everlasting punishment like wicked servants who would not follow him to glory. So, we should at long last rouse ourselves, prompted by the words of the Scripture, Now is the time for us to rise from sleep. Our eyes should be open to the God-given light, and we should listen in wonderment to the message of the divine voice as it daily cries out. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And again, if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And what does the Spirit say? Come, my sons, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Hurry while you still have the light of life, so that death's darkness may not overtake you. And the Lord, as he seeks the one who will do his work among the throng of people to whom he makes that appeal, says again, Which of you wants to live life to the full? Who loves long life and the enjoyment of prosperity? And if when you hear this, you say, I do, God says to you, if you desire true and everlasting life, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace. And pursue it. And when you have done these things, my eyes will be upon you. And before you call upon my name, I shall say to you, Behold, I am here. What could be more delightful, dearest brothers, than the voice of our Lord's invitation to us? In his loving kindness, he reveals to us the way of life. And so, girded with faith and the performance of good works. Let us follow in his paths by the guidance of the gospel. Then we shall deserve to see him who has called us into his kingdom.
If we wish to attain a dwelling place in his kingdom, we shall not reach it unless we hasten there by our good deeds. Just as there exists an evil fervor, a bitter spirit which divides us from God and leads us to hell, so there is a good fervor which sets us apart from evil inclinations and leads us toward God and eternal life. Monks should put this fervor into practice with an overflowing love. That is, they should surpass each other in mutual esteem, accept their weaknesses, either of body or of behavior, with the utmost patience, and vie with each other in acceding to requests. No one should follow what he considers to be good for himself, but rather what seems to be good for another. They should display brotherly love in a chaste manner, fear God in a spirit of love, revere their abbot with a genuine and submissive affection. Let them put Christ before all else, and may he lead us all to everlasting life. That reading comes from the rule of St. Benedict, and it's just one example of what Bo was talking about, the beautiful poetry and the eminent practicality of the rule of St. Benedict. The things that stand out in this reading to me today are the things that have really been standing out in a lot of things lately, just this continual reminder that apart from Christ, I can do nothing, right? Uh, this has been something that's kind of the the thing that I'm meditating on lately. And here, right at the beginning, St. Benedict says this, whenever you begin any good work, you should first of all make an appeal to Christ our Lord to bring it to perfection. Why? Because otherwise, it's not going to make it to perfection, right? Uh, Lest he grow impatient with our sins and consign us to everlasting punishment like wicked servants who do not follow him to glory, right? Here's the whole thing. We, the, the, all of that punishment comes from our stubbornness and, and unwillingness to follow him to glory. And that's where that humility comes in, to recognize, you know what? I am an unprofitable servant. I am a servant who is doing only what's asked. And Lord, let me do what's asked to the extent that I follow you that I follow you to glory. And help me to see that sometimes the way to glory that I'm following you is not glorious. Sometimes it's quiet. Sometimes it's keeping my mouth shut. All the time it's humility. All the time it's obedience. And this is what St. Benedict taught us so long ago. Let's celebrate him today by striving to follow his advice and to follow his rule. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by all of our Patreon supporters, especially Christopher Robin Weber, who I met for the first time at Clear Creek Abbey a couple of years ago. Um, Why don't you join the numbers of the Patreon community? Get extra content each and every week. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.